Let me pray. Jesus, you know this message and uh, how it weighs on me. I, I, I can hardly get my words together. So I pray for some help with my words. Now, more importantly than my words, Lord, I, I really want your word to go forth. I want it to make sense. I want you to speak to individuals and for it to land so that they can understand. Be with us as we hang out here for a little bit. Lord, uh, we do, we're proud of, of our high school kids at this church. We got a special bunch. And uh, we, we pray your blessings on them, particularly um, the eight that were just on the stage. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, you go with them as they go to college and they go on their different, different routes. Pray, Lord, that you would uh, help them be lights where they go. Help them learn stuff, both the, both the easy way and the hard way. And pray, Lord, after a, a few years, whether it be at college or at work or wherever they might be, Lord, that, um, that there just be a clear, maturing process that's taking place in them. We trust you with them. We pray in your name. Amen. So today is uh, Memorial Day. I wore my shirt. This is my only American shirt. And Mariah has this got like Los Angeles, Boston, Atlanta, all the big cities. And it's, it says U.S. Tour. And at the bottom, Mariah added Red Bank. So it was hot. <laughs> right where we belong. <clears throat> it's, a, uh, it's probably the holiday that we, the national holiday that we celebrate that makes the most sense to me. Because uh, much was lost. When we, when we remember Memorial Day, we remember families that we never knew that lost their dads, their brothers, sisters, and mothers uh, for the sake of our freedom so that we could come in a school today and we could talk about Jesus, and I'm talking freely. I'm not expecting the government to come in and get me. I have this freedom that folks died for. I, I read some stats the other day. The number of casualties on behalf of our freedom is staggering, but if you, you go back to the most most would have been the Civil War, 625,000 folks died. Of course, that was a battle between us. So casualties on both sides lost their lives. So, so then you go to World War II, the next stats, 400,000 folks gave up their lives for us, for our freedom, and for other folks' freedom across the face of the earth. Uh, 100,000 in World War I, and in, in the Revolutionary War, there just weren't that many people here yet. But, but a huge percentage of, of the folks in America gave up their life for our freedom, 25,000 folks. So what, what I like to do is do something a little different, and, and maybe it seem a little odd at church, but I like to recognize everybody who is serving or has served in our, our armed forces, I'd like for you to stand up. We just like to, we like to thank you just with a little, little applause. If you would, stand up. I know that's not what y'all do, but we want you to stand up. <laughs> Thank you, guys. So let me, let me, uh, let me say this, is that uh, those guys and ladies, that they're willing to put their life on the line, and so we're, we're proud and we're thankful, and this is a time of year where, where it just, it's not about a three-day holiday. It's about thanking folks that sacrificed on our behalf. But as a preacher, as a representative of God's Word, I can't spend 40 minutes talking about the great U.S. of A., right? Not enough hope in that. This is not, not enough. It's worth, it's worth dying for. Our freedom's worth dying for. If somebody comes and wants to take over tomorrow, I'll be out there 
you know, as you guys know, I'll probably drop my gun, but I'll be shooting. I'll pick it back up and shoot again. I'm ready. I'll be ready to fight. It's worth, it's worth fighting for, but it, it's, it's, it's not like this. It doesn't have the significance that this has. It doesn't have the, the long, overwhelming hope that, that this, this thing crosses over all nations and, and, and all, all folks, crosses over time. Uh, one of the things that struck me this morning is, is that I have more in common with the follower of Jesus in China that meets in a house church in hiding today than I do with my neighbor who's United States, who's, who's an American, unless they know Jesus. Because that guy in China or that lady, and that's my brother and that's my sister, and I'm deeply connected to him or to her. That's, that's my family, which is deeper than, than this flag on the back of my shirt, this, this deep family, which is what, what's beautiful about our gathering today. Many of us know Jesus, and so th- there's this depth of relationship that comes because of the blood of Christ that makes, us, that makes us close. And so, you know, if I were to go in order, I got, I got uh, my, my flag shirt on, but I, if I, 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 and I would, I would stand up and die for this, but, but not like I would for the truth about Jesus, because I'm compelled to die for that. And if I were to open up my shirt and I were to have a Clemson shirt on the inside, then I would say that I have some allegiance to them. Guess what? You pull out a gun, boy, I put on your Gamecock shirt right now, right? <laughs> you tell me who to pull for, I pull for them. Whoever that is, I pull for them, right? But, but if you take, I got my family shirt up over, over my United States of America shirt, I got my family shirt, and you want to go after my family, well, then, you know, we're just going to have to go. Right, but so sometimes we get those shirts all mixed up, and we get them in the wrong order. So hopefully you got, hopefully this ain't your outside shirt. Hopefully you got, you got maybe your family shirt on top of it, and then you got this overwhelming shirt, which is about the gospel of Jesus. That is the reason that you live, because it's a transcend, a transcendent cause. It's more important than my family, and I love my family. It's more important than my family. It's far more important than my country. And it's infinitely more important than the Clemson Tigers. I'm going to tell you. The, the, all of, but, but sometimes we act like this fall is the most important time of the year. So you, you begin to wonder if that's our outside shirt. When you read this passage, Jesus, this is in John chapter 17. I'm going to tell you, I've already had to speak it once this morning. It, it's overwhelming me. It's, it's got so much in it. So I think what I'm going to do is, this is called the high priestly prayer, it's, it, it, and Jesus just prays the whole chapter. I'm just going to take about three or four verses, and I'm going to read them so I, I don't stress myself out in front of all of y'all. Uh, he starts by praying for himself in the first six verses, and then he prays for the, the 11, 12 disciples right there in front of him. And then by verse 20, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful prayer. He actually picks us up, and he's praying for the guys in front of him. But look, look what verse 20 says in chapter 17. He says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in, their, in, in me through their message. So who's he praying for? You, me, he's praying for us. This is 2,000 years ago. Jesus is praying for you. And, and in a pretty healthy way, we can flip back what he prayed for the disciples in the previous verses that he prays for us as well. 
So what I'd like to do is read from about verse 13 to the 19. I'm just going to read it th- straight through. And I want you to understand what's going on. Jesus is praying. So, so I don't know how you pray. Maybe you pray with your eyes closed. Jesus at the beginning, we're going to see prays with his eyes open. So it is okay to pray while you're driving, okay? Just, I mean, pray with your eyes open if you're driving, all right? You can close them if you want to. Anyway, I hope that doesn't need a whole lot of description. Verse 13, now I'm coming to you. Jesus speaking to the Father. He's praying. He's not speaking to us. He's not speaking to disciples. He's speaking to the Father. Now I'm coming to you. I told them, them being us, the disciples, I told them many things while I was with them in this world so that they would be filled with my joy. We spent a bunch of time on that last week. Won't hurt to mention it again. He says that I taught my disciples many things. Why? So that they would be filled with joy my joy. And if you read this whole chapter, there's this deep connection with mission and joy. This, this, it almost seems very difficult to be a follower of Jesus and have joy if you're not on mission, which might be the problem in the great U.S. of A., in the church of this nation. It seems that sometimes that we get so consumed with some other mission other than his, that we, uh, we, we've lost our joy. We seem like a grumpy group of people. We seem so consumed with making ourselves happy that we can never get there. Notice that. We spend all of our resources trying to stay happy by paying our bills and adding bills to, to try to get happy. And it seems like we, we've lost our joy by trying to be happy. Jesus says, uh, I mean, in Hebrews says about Jesus, because of the joy waiting him, he endured the cross. So he's looking forward to this great joy, the great joy, one, of providing salvation on your behalf, the great joy, two, of completing the obedience to his father by going all the way to the cross and suffering, getting the job done. There's this deep joy that Jesus has by being on mission. So I want to just throw this out to you. If you're not happy, it might be because you're not on mission, that your mission is about you. It's not Christ's mission. I read a great, I actually listened to it. I was listening to uh, Tim Keller, who's, who's one of my favorites, as some of y'all probably bored from me quoting him. It was a message that he spoke in 1992, which I'm sure was recorded on a cassette. Some of y'all don't know what that was, but I had to take me a while to explain it. But um, he recorded, and now it's on a podcast, so I pulled it up the other day, and he, says, he said this, which I thought was really good. By exaggerating my significance, I have lost my significance. 1992. They didn't even have Facebook yet. You couldn't even do a selfie yet. You couldn't even, like, take a picture and transpose somebody else in the picture to exaggerate your significance, right? You couldn't even do that. 1992, he's saying, by exaggerating my significance, I have lost my significance because I'm not on mission just for myself. Many of us have lost our joy because we're are centered around ourselves. I tell you how we can tell. Look at your checkbook. Where's the money go? You want just like a simple test. Where's the money go? Is it completely consumed by you and yours? Or is it, does it have, does that money seem to have any direction toward a greater cause? 
Where, where Where does it go? How are you set up? Now, money's just, just one way. I, ha- I met some college pastors the other day. They were frustrated. They planted in a college town, and now they're in the suburbs. And they'd had this great season of life while they were in college leading people, and everybody was kind of all in. And they, they were sharing to me how hard it is to lead people who live in the suburbs. And, and uh, one of the questions I had, I had for them was, do you have any kids? And they both said no. I'm like, oh, okay. Then you got no idea. <laughs> you know? No wonder you can't, can't lead. But it, they, they were cool guys. They, re- they really loved the Lord, and they wanted to lead people toward Jesus, but they hadn't dealt with all the distractions yet. But nonetheless, their, their frustration was true. It gets harder when you get out of school because you got less time. you got more responsibility. You have more, more distraction. And, and let me just say this. You have more to lose. So there's this temptation to rally up and circle and protect what's mine and take all of my resources and energy and focus in on what's mine because I, got, I, got, I love these people. I don't want to lose it. And so all of a sudden, I find myself in the world. No, not of the world. Yeah, yeah, that's what I do. There's this deep tension in this passage between being in the world but not of the world, in the world but not of the world. And sometimes we lean way over here to not of the world, and we can't get anybody to go share Jesus with anybody because we just focused on me and mine. Then on the flip side, we got folks that are in the world. They in the world. (laughs) Matter of fact, I don't know which one is the world and which one is one of us because they so in the world. You kind of have this tension in this passage. Jesus just addresses, and he, he, he wants us to be in the world but not of the world. Complicated stuff if you've lived a little while. Seemed like it was way easier in college when I could separate myself out and, and we could kind of go after it and it was fun and it brought energy and there was joy because we were on mission together. Now, how do we do this now? How do we do it where we are now? It's hard. Let me read a little bit more. Verse 15 was the one that jumped out to me this time. 15 kind of to the end. Uh, really jumped out to me. It says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. He's speaking to the disciples, about the disciples. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. So Jesus is praying for the guys right there in front of you. I mean, he's speaking to the Father, looking up, and he says, I'm not asking you to take them out of this place. I'm expecting you to keep them there, but keep them safe. What does that imply? <laughs> that this is dangerous. That following Jesus is dangerous. There's something to lose. It's a, uh, it's a pretty cool tension for anybody in the room that's a parent, right? That these, li- these people that live in our home, we, can, we feel the danger of this world. He, he says, I'm not going to take them, but, but, but uh, protect them. And then he says, they do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as, I, just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they can be made holy by your truth. In the world, not of the world. So there's this potential that I could live in Red Bank, South Carolina, and be a citizen of the kingdom of God. And the people at White No High School would think of me as being in the world. But they would also know that I'm not from here. 
right? And my accent's good here. I'm good, right? My accent, pretty, my, it, it works here. People from Red Bank go, yeah, he could be, he could be from here, right? So I, I'm in here. I'm from Red Bank. Mariah actually put Red Bank on my shirt. It's got all the famous, famous uh, cities of the country, and it, we got Red Bank all the way at the bottom, right? So we made the list, like Atlanta, for, anyway. Um, but, but here we are in Red Bank, and I'm in the world, but I'm not of it. I want you to feel the tension of that because I think what happens often is we try so hard not to be of it that we totally miss the mission that Jesus has sent us on and then we lose the joy that is offered. And we got these crazy questions for all of us as parents now if you're doing schools, the chaos that our nation's in that where we, you know, you start asking questions, man, well, am I going to keep sending my kid to school? Uh, because I don't want to be trained and I don't want their mind to go the wrong direction, right? And so I, I, I really care about this training. And for some of us, what we've done is we've stuck our head in the sand and we just hope for the best. We send them where everybody else's kids and I just hope for the best. And then you got other folks that maybe you homeschool your kids and, and a lot of times your primary motivation is not passivity like, like that one can be, but it's fear. And so you really focus on them not being of the world and you pull them apart. But then when it comes to actually time to know somebody who's lost, they are clueless because you're giving them like this spirit of fear. And so they're always in hiding. There's no sense that they're going into battle with a force field around them called the Holy Spirit. So I hope you hear me clearly. Either one could be wrong. Because one, one we, can, we can fuss about giving our training over to others, and, and on the other, we can completely control the training and not accomplish the mission that God has sent us on. He's saying that I should be in the world, but not of the world. So whatever your school choice, you got private in here. I don't see a whole lot of people in here who can do private. But anyway, the private in the middle. But any of those school choices, as we think about training our children, at the end of the day, I need my kids to look like Red Bank people, to connect with Red Bank people, to be able to talk the language so that they can share the good news because they're in the world, but they're not of it. Their citizenship, when they believe in Jesus, is another place. It seems that uh, we just struggle with that. Let me read to you from Jeremiah. I don't read a whole lot of Jeremiah. This is great. Chapter 29. The Israelites, God's chosen people, they're in captivity. We call it exile. And so they're in this nation of Babylonians who worship other gods, and there's all kind of chaos, not unlike where we are today. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives. He has exiled to Babylon, uh, he, he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. So he's speaking to the Jews, they're in, they're in Babylon. Here's what he says, build homes and plan to stay. <laughs> Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. We did that, baby. We own it. Then find spouses for them. We're working on that right now, Mariah. Any girls in the room? I got five sons. Anyway, and find spouses. Like, like you here. This is where you live. Come to stay. And then find spouses for them so that they may have many grandchildren. Cheryl's praying for this. Y'all get with it. Um, <laughs> multiply. Do not dwindle away and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. What? Here's the Jews. They're a set-apart people, right? They're God's people. They're in the middle of this, this nation that 
captured them that has almost that, that has brought them there in the start into slavery, and he's saying, no, nah, no, nah, build houses, raise your families, but but raise them in my name. Be there in the middle of it. But here's, here's what he says: pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will return will determine your welfare. Lots of folks read that part right there. Let me read to you the next verses. Because that says, I'm in the world. I'm in the world. I'm investing here. I'm investing with a clear conscience before God, but I'm investing in this, in, in this world. Verse 8. Do not let their prophets or fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they are telling you lies in my name and I have not sent them. Not of the world. I'm in the world. Invest. Be happy. Enjoy yourself. Cheer at the ball game this weekend. But don't buy the lie. You got to fight for it. You don't buy the lie. So in our family, we, we, we send the kids to public school. So that means I'm sending them there. I want them to carry themselves well. I want them to do well in class. Some do, some don't. I want them to do well in class. I want them to carry themselves. I want the teachers to speak highly of them. I want them to compete at stuff. Occasionally throw elbow if possible. But I want them to do their job while they're at school. But when they get home, I got to make sure that we're not buying the lies that are propagated. And I'm not talking about school teachers. I'm just talking about culture. We got some great school teachers in our district. I'm talking about culture. Culture's pushing all this stuff on us. And my job as a parent is to school my kids, to get them ready. Baby girl's getting married this weekend. 22 years of readiness. We're about to find out. Some of that's on her. A lot of that's on us. In a minute, it's going to be on Timmy. It won't be on me anymore. (laughs) And the proof will be in the pudding. And the proof is in our pudding as we live these verses out. In the world, not of the world. I love this last little part, and I think I got time to address it. I've never noticed this before. Verse 17 says, make them holy by your truth. Speaking to God, Jesus speaking to God. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Okay, so we get that. There's this big emphasis on truth. In another translation, he uses an old word that maybe some of y'all have heard is sanctify. Make them holy. Make them right by teaching them your truth. And then the next verse, the very next verse is the big verse about mission. Just as you sent me in the world, I'm sending them into the world. So, so there's this heavy emphasis on holiness, on sanctification. Make them holy, and then I'm going to send them into the world. I'm going I'm to make them holy. I'm going to make them right in their mind, and I'm going to send them into the world. In verse 19, what's, what happens? Right back to holiness. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they can be made holy by your truth. Holy mission, holy. Holy mission, mission holy. Well, however you want it, they're, they're deeply, deeply connected. Let, let me just say this. If we are not growing in holiness... Ain't nobody going to believe. Right? Why would you send somebody that you weren't proud of to represent you? So as followers of Jesus, if we're not growing in holiness, why would anybody want what we got? So, like, there's this deep tension in here between the two. And you know me. I'm, I'm going to 
pound the table about Red Bank because we, we love this, this town. But if, if, I, if I keep coming and, and wondering why the folks around me don't want Jesus but continue to live in sin, that kind of should just make sense. Because the more time I spend with Jesus, the more my life is transformed. It's never perfect. And I think sometimes if you've been at Radius for a while, we, we might bang that drum a little too loud. Because we want you to know, and I certainly want you to know, I'm up here just so you can see me in the back. But in reality, I belong in one of the chairs. There's nothing special about me. But I will say this, that over the course of years of following Jesus, he continues to sanctify me. I don't get there. I continue to be made more holy by being with him, and it, and it makes us attractive. So he, he tells the disciples before, before he leaves, they call it the Great Commission. Maybe you've heard it. I'm just going to read you a little piece of it. In Matthew, he says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So there's this anticipation that because they've been with Jesus, that they have power. Because they've watched and walked with him, and now they have the Holy Spirit, they have this deep power that wherever they go, they'll make disciples. It's not like I'm going to sign up to go make disciples. Could, could I have, no, I'm, I'm just teasing, but we, we can't just hold up hands and put up a sign-up sheet in the back of people that want to make disciples. First, there has to be this choice to follow Jesus ourselves, to become disciples ourselves. And then he says, go, therefore, and I always, in my Bible, I'll circle the word go because that excites, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And you kind of have this feel like I need to get on a boat and go to India and make some disciples. But that's not what he's saying. When you actually read the original language, it seems like more like when you go or as you go. How does that feel? It feels like more natural. So if I hung out with Jesus, if I spent time with Jesus and did this thing we, we call a quiet time sometimes, if I spent my time in that spot, then there's this assumption that as I go, I'll make disciples. Which is why Cheryl Reeves takes banana bread to Aldi. Why in the heck would somebody take banana bread to Aldi? Because you go to Aldi to buy food and they serve you, right? No, because that's where she goes. I don't like going to Aldi. I put the quarter in the daggum thing. I can never get a car. Anyway, but she goes to Aldi. She likes Aldi. She goes to Aldi, and she buys all this health food, but then she takes banana bread. She gives it to the people at the desk. I mean, at the little, you know, they take cash. I can't ever figure that story out, whatever that story, however it works. But she loves it, and so she loves them, and they love her because that's as she goes. That's where she goes. So her holiness, all of a sudden, because holiness produces generosity, as all of our stuff, all of our resources then have to funnel in on mission so that when I go to food line here in a little bit, I'm a representative of the king. And how I treat them reflects on the king because I got on his jersey. Whether they know it or not, my holiness holds up the gospel when it's non-existent. That means when, everywhere I go, which scares the heck out of me when I'm sitting on the bench <laughs> at a basketball game, right? I always apologize after the game. But anyway, um, <laughs> there's this uh, deep need for us to take this relationship that we have with God as we go, which ought to motivate us to take all that we have and leverage it to make disciples. Let me re read you a little quote. This is from The Vine and the Trellis, which is a book I'm reading right now. It's, it says... It's a commission that makes disciple-making a normal agenda. 
So when you read the Great Commission, it's a commission for all of us, not just for the disciples to go all over the world. Most of y'all will never go anywhere. This is where you are. And praise God, he put you here for this town. So he says, it's a commission that makes disciple-making a normal agenda and a priority of every church and every, every Christian disciple, that we ought to take what we've been given and give it away. So let me take you back to Abraham. Some of y'all, we, we went through the Old Testament. There's a famous guy in, in the Old Testament. He's the great-great-grandfather of all the nation of Israel. And uh, the story is long, but God made him a promise. He said that he was going to bless him. But he said, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing. So there's this anticipation that flows all the way through the Scripture that if God gives you something, you're expected to then give it away. The the word picture I love to use is him pouring into my vessel and eventually it getting so full that I have to overflow. I've done that with a styrofoam cup a couple times. And you take a styrofoam cup and you hold it and you pour water into it and it overflows. It makes everybody nervous in the room, especially the ladies, if it's carpet because they're like, does he know what he's doing? Is his wife okay with this? And, and, And you're just making this mess of overflow. And then there's this radius that forms up around the cup. Because the stuff that's been poured to you pours out on all, all, all around you and affects all these fe- people, and they get refreshment like you got refreshment. What I like about the styrofoam cup, because some of y'all can feel this, is you can take a pencil and you can poke a hole in it, and you can talk about some painful moment in your life where God has still been enough. You can see what the damage was, but as he pours in, he can still fill your cup even though you're draining in multiple places. And even through your weakness and your failure or, or somebody else's something they've committed against you, even though you're scarred and there's a deep hole in you, he can fill it with his refreshment and even speak to others out of your pain. So then I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. It's a deep obligation of the followers of Jesus. I think that's why I can barely get my words together on this passage because I want it so bad for us. I think that it scares me a little bit because I want it so bad for me. And the older I get, the more I have to lose. And I start sliding towards security and, and wanting security. And the only way to get the good news out to my world is for me to get out. And, and getting out puts me in a vulnerable position. But it also puts me in a strategic position to share the good news about Jesus. Let me read you two verses to quit. I hope you connected holiness to mission just in those few verses. Here, here are the closing verses. Oh, uh, verse uh, 20. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who who will ever believe in me through their their message. So again, that's us. Check out what he prays for us. I pray that they will all be one, that that we'd all be together. So, So when you gossip about another believer, you're actually causing Jesus' prayer not to be true. Because he's praying against what you're doing. He's praying that we would be one, that there would be a depth of oneness. There's some couple verses in here that I don't have time to go into that would, would completely 
destroy any racial tendency you got to think that you're better because of the color of your skin. He, he creates a whole new nation. And he, there's this deep prayer from Jesus that we would be one. So anytime you're arrogant because of the color of your skin or because of the flag on your back, it's foolishness to the God of the universe. I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. You talk about high standard. God the Father and God the Son, the depths of the the Trinity's relationship, he's praying that for us, that we would be together like that. And, and he, he goes on to say, and you, as, you and I, uh, as, you and, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Guess that? So that there would be so much depth of relationship between us and community and between us and the Father in community, which is crazy, that the world, that folks that haven't met Jesus would look in on us and look at our relationship to the Father and the holiness that it produces in us and the way it makes us treat one another, and they would go, man, I got to have some of that, that they would believe. That's deep. In the world, but not of the world. So if you would, just do something simple for me. Evaluate your joy. Put on a scale of zero to ten. If you're a zero, I'll give you a hug, right? Maybe just a little bit. Then, then ask yourself how much you're on mission. You can evaluate it a number of ways, but you can look at, at your assets. You look at your time and your money and your relationships and, and just see what they're pointed toward. And, and then, then compare how much you're on mission to your joy quotient and see how they match up. Because there's supposed to be, and you'll see this with guys that have served often. They have this deep, though the time was painful that they served for our country, they have this deep love and unity with the guys they served with. You ever seen that? They get together like annually or biannually. Or, there's this deep love for these guys. There's this deep unity that they have together. And there seems to be this joy from back then. It's not like the good old days. It's, it's the joy from the days when they put it on the line for something, when they had a reason to live and to die, and they were together in it. That was what the expectation was for the church. Except we don't go just as men, right? I don't get to just go with the guys in the room. I go, I take my family, and we all go. And you take your family, and we all go. And we, we walk into this battle, which is not against our neighbors, but for our neighbors, we hope that they believe. Pray with me. I struggle to make sense of it, Lord. <laughs> it's, a, it's a crazy time. Sometimes I think that my brothers and sisters in China can make much more sense of that message because they suffer. But for us, Lord, we want you to make sense of it. We want to understand what you were praying for there, Jesus. Lord, we want to agree with your prayers. So I want to pray the same right now. Jesus, I agree with you. I, I speak to the Father as... 
as an adopted son. And I want to ask him with some adopted sons and daughters in this room that he would help us, that he would send us, that you would send us, Father. Send us on mission. At the same time, make us holy. Lord, even today, man, this, this stuff in each of our lives that we, we want to ask you and we want to ask you humbly to put your finger on, or stuff that we're filling our minds with that uh, is making us ineffective as your missionary, help us. Help us understand what you were praying for there, Jesus, and we want to agree with it and we want to pray it. Lord, make us one. Make us as a unit here. Help us uh, get over our inhibitions and really join with one another in community. And then probably even more importantly, Lord, help us block out the time to be with you so that we'd be one with you, so there'd be such a depth of relationship with you, Father, that folks would just know by by talking to us when we're on, on our way. Pray for these students that are done. They're about to go to college, and as they close out their high school career, pray that they would they take into this new life, to these new years. They take you with them. Pray that the truth, the word, the big Bible that they got to put in their hand, as they read it and they read the commentary and the margins, that that your word would, would shape them and make them more holy and sanctify them. And at the colleges they're at or on the jobs they're on, that represent you well. Protect them as you say you do in that passage, Lord. Protect them on their way. Keep them from sin. Keep them from harm. Pray that for our whole group, Lord. You know us. We need to grow up, all of us. We want to mature. Help us down that road. Listen to us now as we sing of your greatness, Lord. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.